Alright. What an incredible passage of scripture that Fiona read. Who can tell me what prophet wrote that? Did everyone read Isaiah? Well, you know that. Do you know it is possible that he never wrote that? What would, what would, just try to imagine, what would it be if Isaiah said, I don't want to write that? If Isaiah said, you know, I, in fact, Isaiah would talk about, in fact, Isaiah is probably one of the most messianic prophets. Uh, we talked about this last week. Isaiah would prophesy about, uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He was prophesying over Jesus' birth. Isaiah prophesied and spoke out that the Spirit of Jesus' ministry and mission, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's given me, you know, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And all those amazing passages, and including the ones that Fiona read, and so much more, it is possible that Isaiah said, don't want to do it. Too hard. Too unpopular. And so, uh, and you're wondering, well, how can that be? What would, what would it be if he just didn't do it? So, so I want to share just briefly-ish this morning. Um, I want to wrap up something I started last week with Isaiah. And in verse 1 of the book of uh, Isaiah, we get his context. And we see that these... And Andre, thank you for fixing that up. I can now... That's a long way up there. But you made it. Not for you. Not for you. All right. Okay. These are the visions that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. I said Isaiah was a significant prophet in the history of Israel. He lived in Jerusalem and he spoke into the, nation, the southern nation of Judah through the years of the four kings of, uh, that were listed in verse 1. Isaiah, God used Isaiah both to warn the nation what it's like if you turn your back on God, but to encourage them that God is at work, that God will bring about a promised Messiah. And so Isaiah, about a hundred years after Isaiah's death, uh, the nation of um, well, Jerusalem was uh, sacked, it was destroyed. And so the nation eventually, the nation didn't turn their hearts toward God and, and God removed his, his face and his grace upon them and they were taken over by the nation of Babylon. And so, but Isaiah told them, but even when things get hard, even if things are going to get difficult, that God will send a saviour of the world. And so last week we looked at chapter 6 to the event, we're talking about origin stories, and we looked at an event that I believe changed Isaiah's life significantly. In fact, this event that we're going to talk about today is where he gets a choice, like a uh, like Ethan Hunt on Mission Impossible, your choice, Isaiah, should you choose to accept it. So we'll see this morning, Isaiah has a choice whether he's going to partner with God's plan or whether he's just going to let it go. And so in chapter 6, we know we, we learned last week that uh, the nation of Israel, of Judah, was a mess. A year of turmoil and upheaval, uncertainty and, and, and a whole range of things happening. It was the year, if you recall, that King Uzziah died. A good king. Uh, it started off good, but it ended up quite unfortunate for the nation of Judah. But we see in the most difficult time for a nation of Judah, God would peel back the veil between heaven and earth, and Isaiah would get a glimpse of two thrones. He saw the earthly throne that was empty, the empty throne that was inhabited by the kings of Judah, and it was full of corruption and decay and decline. 
but God would pull back the curtain of heaven and Isaiah would see a second throne. In verse 1, It was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, and each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and two they flew. They were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. What an amazing passage of scripture. You know, when we read these passages, we need to understand that the writers were trying to use human words to try to describe something which is indescribable. They were, they, Isaiah had a vision of the king, and he had a vision of the kingdom. And, but this isn't unique to Isaiah. And I'm not going to read through all of these, but we'd see in Genesis uh, that Jacob had a vision of, of heaven. We'd see in Ezekiel that he had a vision of heaven. Talks about a throne that, in the last part of the verse, a throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Daniel watched as thrones were put into place, and the ancient ones sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And I want to follow through what Daniel would say. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that every people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It'll never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. See, the, the vision Isaiah had of God sitting on his throne was not unique to Isaiah. If you go into the New Testament, even Stephen, as he, as he was getting, getting hit with stones and rocks, it says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. So we see, scripturally, there is, there is a veil between heaven and earth. And some of these prophets had a glimpse, and they saw the majesty and the glory of God. Probably the most well-known New Testament author uh, that talks about a revelation of heaven was John, who wrote Revelation. And in uh, Revelation 4, verse 2, John would say, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four elders surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white, and all had gold crowns on their heads. Remember, this is man-made words, trying to describe something which is difficult to describe, I would say it's indescribable, they're trying to capture the glory and the magnificence and the beauty and the majesty of the one who sit on the throne. Each author trying to describe the indescribable and each author giving us a, a glimpse of the king and his kingdom. So Isaiah, he saw something supernatural. His spiritual eyes were open and, and when we gather, when we pray, I always pray that God will open the eyes of our hearts. That, that our experience of God is not just limited to this world. And I shared last week that we inhabit two worlds. That, that God would open our eyes to see the reality of, of His world, the kingdom of heaven at work in us. So Isaiah saw God, he experienced the presence of God. 
flowing from heaven to earth, the train of God's robe filled the temple. And the angelic creatures, the, uh, the, the seraphim, they praised God. They, they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. This is they were yelling across the throne room of heaven. They were trying to honor and describe the majesty of God. He's holy, he's holy, he's holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is having this vision and he's listening to the angels, and the angels are saying, The whole earth is full of God's glory. And Isaiah is saying, As I look at the earth, the earth is not full of God's glory. Because the earth that I'm looking at is full of suffering and pain and darkness and hardship. And, and so Isaiah is stuck between these two worlds. The world, if you were to look at the world, if I said to you the whole earth is filled with God's glory, you'd be thinking, yeah, I get that, but, but I see violence and pain and rejection and abandonment and fear and despair. But what I want to note just here is that we see things from a human perspective. We see things from an earthly perspective. The angels saw something from heaven's perspective. I I want you to note that point. We see things from an earthly perspective and it doesn't look like any glory to God is going on. But the angels saw things from a heavenly perspective. And they would see, you know, it may look hard and messy and and all that, but the Messiah has come and the the victory has already won. From heaven's perspective, the earth is full of God's glory. And we get to be participators and partner with God to take His presence and His glory to those around us. The angels see things from heaven's perspective. There's a verse in in Ephesians that gives me great, great hope. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul would say that he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And where did he seat us? Where are we seated? On an earth, from an earth, on an earthly throne or a heavenly throne? What, what does scripture say? We are seated in heavenly places because we are, we are united with Jesus. This is really important. We get to see things from heaven to earth. It may seem difficult, it may seem hard, what you go through with your kids or your studies or your parents or your, or your internal wrestle that you have, from an earthly perspective, it can seem hard. But if we're in Christ, we, get, we can have a different perspective. We can see things from heaven to earth. You get the choice. To see things, you, you get to have a you get to have a different point of view. And Isaiah found himself like we do today, struggling to see the glory of God. You might be struggling to see the glory of God in in your family's life, or your neighbor, or your, your neighbor's world, or your workplace. You might, and the reality we don't know why some of this stuff happens. The world is full of tragedy and divorce and sickness and death. But we do know, we do know that the world was surrendered to an enemy. And we do know that, that sin and sickness and disease is a, is a product of a fallen world. But we get to sit from heaven's point of view and see the glory of God and realize that we have a part to play in the midst of a broken world. For Isaiah, in the day that the nation appeared to be defeated, in the day that Uzziah died, Isaiah needed to look up. 
And that's really a practical thing for us today. Because when your day is dark and circumstances may overwhelm you, sickness or finances or challenges, I want to encourage you when, when your day is dark and hard to look up and see that Jesus is on the throne, that Christ is in his holy temple. And not only is Jesus seated far above all powers and authorities on this world, you are seated with him. You are seated in a different position. You're not bound to the position of this world of defeat. We get to sit in a place of highest honor and power and glory. In fact, um, I think, Fiona, I might summarize the vision you had of worship in worship last week. Uh, Fiona was saying in worship last week, she saw the King of Heaven seated in a position of authority and declaring his, out of his authority and power, declaring his will. And, uh, and, but then she realized that we also have the same position. We have the same authority in Christ that we can be declaring his goodness and power across that situation. Probably a lot more of that, but that's the way I got out of that. Um, and so here we got Isaiah. He has this amazing vision of God. Who's ever seen, who's ever had one of those? Uh, how would you respond when you see God like that? How, how, well, Isaiah tells us how he responded. He said, it's all over. I'm doomed. He goes, woe is me. I've got a, there's a problem here. I've just seen God. And I am a sinful man and I have filthy lips and, and that I live among a people with filthy, filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. I, I, I can relate to Isaiah. If, if, if I had a vision of, of God in His glory and majesty, I could only, and typically the enemy wants to remind me of my failure and he points out to me my insufficiencies. But I think a true vision of God, a true experience of God, will bring us to our knees. In fact, I think a true vision of God must bring us to our knees. Compared to everything God is. I mean, for me, I love going into a, uh, into a, a starry sky or a, or a beautiful uh, bushwalk. And, I, and I, I remember I got to visit Yosemite National Park just once. And I remember getting off the bus. Who's been to Yosemite? I remember getting off the bus and I just walked and tears going down my face glorifying God for His creative beauty. When we experience God and His beauty, in His, in His glory, in His power, it's got to bring us to our knees. It's, it's got to overwhelm us. Because compared to everything God is, our humanity is laid bare. Now the Apostle Peter had a similar moment. He was out fishing, and if you know the story, Peter was out fishing, didn't catch any fish. Jesus comes along and says, hey, throw it the other side. And Peter goes, no way, you know, no more than you. Sounds like a teenager, actually. Um, but he did it anyway. That's where he doesn't sound like a teenager. Um, anyway, but then Peter catches all these fish. And then we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had just happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, leave me. I'm such a sinful man. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he looked at all his achievements, his qualifications, his wealth, uh, and he considered it all rubbish and worthless compared to knowing Jesus. 
I really believe when we have a true encounter with Jesus, it will bring us to our knees. We'll realize how insufficient and broken we are, and then we can discover something about him that Isaiah was just about to discover. Paul tells us in Romans, when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. I think when we have an encounter with God, we realize how helpless we are and how hopeless we are. But then we discover it's at that exact moment that we discover who Jesus is and that He doesn't leave us helpless and hopeless. He gives us His very presence. <coughs> now, as we look at Isaiah's response to God, well, we look at God's response. Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, I'm a sinful man, I've messed up, my, my world's a mess, the people around me are a mess, you know, God get away from me, I'm no good. Isaiah was so overwhelmed by his own sinfulness and his own brokenness. But I want you to look at God's response to Isaiah. God did not send a lightning bolt and go, gotcha, yeah, you're bad, you're... you're <coughs> You're, you know, you're, 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 the, the people around you are bad. God didn't hit Isaiah on the head and say, well, you know, you, so you should be full of shame. Rather, God would show Isaiah grace. I love this verse. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. This is powerful. Guys, I had this encounter with God. He realized how insufficient and how, how, how filthy and, and messed up and un, unlikable he was. Un, unworthy. Thank you. And God says, you know what? You don't need to stay there. And God did everything. Isaiah needed to respond. Isaiah had to realize that in, in the light of everything God is, I really am not worthy. But then God responded. And God sent a, a, a seraphim to pick up and cleanse him. This is, this is powerful. I read somewhere how tragic it would be to have the throne without the altar. How tragic it would be just to have the glory of God and for us to go, I'm useless, I'm, I'm worthless compared to God. How tragic just to have the throne without an altar that cleanses us and forgives us. There would be conviction of sin but no cleansing. You see, God does not leave us. God did not leave Isaiah in his shame and his guilt and his mess. God cleanses him. And God doesn't leave any of us in our sin. God, that, that's why Jesus came. And we were utterly helpless. He came to cleanse us. He came to restore to us. He came to give us a fresh start. I'll put this verse up here which just blows my mind. That the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. Friends, 
I don't know. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know if you're feeling shame or fear or uncertainty or, or you know the, the stuff you've thought, the stuff you've done. You're never good enough. I don't know what it is that you're going through in your mind. I've got an idea because we all go through it at different stages. But what I know is that God doesn't want you to stay there, and that the, His faithful love, His faithful love, not your faithful love. Where, 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 where? He's faithful toward us even when we're unfaithful toward Him. And His faithfulness toward you, it never ceases. It's never going to stop. Even if you've turned your back and you're, and you're doing your own thing and you're saying, you know what, I, 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 I just want to do me. God is going to pursue you. And His faithful love toward you is not going to go away. And His mercies, His mercies begin afresh every morning. How good is that? And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. What a beautiful scripture. You see, for Isaiah, we're talking about a defining moment. This encounter with God was Isaiah's defining moment. But it didn't end there. It just doesn't end with Isaiah being forgiven and worshipping and listening to the angels and just enjoying the, the heavenly realm. Isaiah had a choice. In verse 8, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. You see, for Isaiah, everything to this point was a preparation. Isaiah knew that his world was desperately broken and falling apart. He knew that the people around him had unclean lips, unclean hearts, unclean minds. But here Isaiah has a choice to make a difference. Here he receives an invitation to partner with God and do something about it. Here we discover a true encounter with, with God... Let Isaiah know that he's worthy and able and capable and loved and, and, and God is with him and God's not going to leave him. But God doesn't want Isaiah to stay there. A true encounter with Jesus must impact our lives. It must lead to a change of heart. It must, lead to, it must, must bring us to a point of grace and forgiveness. And God, I'm so grateful for His grace. I'm so grateful for His forgiveness. I'm so grateful that He poured His love upon me. But God's calling us to something beyond that. It must be a catalyst to empower us to take this grace to others. You know, God could have sent one of the angels, one of the seraphim. But God saying, who's going to be a messenger to these people? God could have said, you know what? Angel Gabriel or Michael or one of the seraphim who don't have names, but he could have said to one of them, you go and be a messenger to these people. And they would have, yes, and they would have done it. They would have obeyed instantly and perfectly. But when it comes to proclaiming the word of God, when it comes to proclaiming the heart of God, God must use human lips. 
God wants to use human lips to tell. Do you know why? Because an angel has never experienced the grace of God. An angel has never experienced what it's like to have sins forgiven. An angel has never experienced what it's like to see God in all His glory, to realize your mess and discover that God is for me and wants to use me. An angel's never experienced that. And so God can't use an angel to, to, to go and speak to a people because they don't get it. But you do. You do. If you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you've, you've experienced His grace. Hopefully you've experienced His, His reckless love towards you and His unconditional love towards you. More than anyone, you should know what it's like to be forgiven, to be messed up, to be lost and to be found, to be, be, to be blind but now to be able to see. God could have used angels, but He chooses us. I started this message posing the question, could you imagine what happened would have happened if Isaiah said, no. Who's going to go? Who's going to be a message to this people? Awkward silence in heaven. What about that amazing scripture that Fiona read? Would Isaiah have written that? Nope. Would it have been written? I'd say yes. Because God will use a willing heart. It might not have Isaiah's name on it. It might have been someone else's name on it. So Isaiah's not going to be, God's not going to be stopped by, by our, our, our issues. But Isaiah could have said, no. Who's going to go for us? Not me. Too inconvenient. Too uncomfortable. You know, God, I've got, I've got some other things to do. I've got to finish this and, and then get myself set up for this. And I've got to get all my investments sorted out. And I've, I've got to have my ducks in a row and get, you know, yeah, God, maybe later, but... Mm. He would, if, that, if he said no to God, he'd never know what a life of saying yes to God looked like. He would have lived a life of regret. After this amazing encounter with God and this amazing vision of heaven, I think he wouldn't be able to cope trying to live on this earth without a view from heaven. As I said, God would use someone else. God would use someone else to bring the, a, a prophetic declaration about the Messiah. God will use someone else to bring hope to humanity. But Isaiah would miss out on being part of the greatest story ever told. So God asks the question, and I think it's the same question He asks us today. He says, hey, there's a community out there, a nation of people who are lost without me, a people of unclean lips, a minds and hearts that are lost, that are looking at an empty throne on earth, that are looking to what a throne on earth that is not powerful to bring change. They're looking to solutions to people. There is a nation, there are nations that are living in despair and without hope. And God would say, who's, who's going to go and talk to them? Who's going to go and tell them about grace? And tell them about love? 
and tell them about a Saviour who came down from heaven and died upon a cross that they could know a Heavenly Father and experience all that He has for them. Who shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? Hey, it's not always a popular message. You see that in the media. At the moment, the, the message of Christianity is, a, is not particularly popular in mainstream media. The message of Jesus may lead to ridicule or abuse. It may be rejected and being targeted. It may mean that your friends won't hang out with you anymore. It may mean that even some Christian friends find you too uncomfortable to be with. Who's going to go? I guess that's where I want to get to this morning. I think that's where God wanted Isaiah to get to in his journey. It's a question that actually demands a response. From you, from me. It demands a response every day. Yeah, great, it's his faithfulness, his mercy is new every morning. Who's going to go? Not me. This is not meant to be a hard word. Please don't take this as a hard word. But please take this as an invitation, in the, an opportunity to glimpse God in all His glory and to rediscover His grace and His love towards you. But also understand that God doesn't want you to stay within just the four walls. The message of God is not meant, the grace of God is not meant to be bound to the four walls of a church. Who's going to go? Who's going to go? Who's going to go to the schools? Who's going to go to your gym? Who's going to go to to your coffee shop? Who's going to go to your university? Who's going to go to your school? Who's going to go to your office or your or your, your medical practice? Or, I don't know. Who's going to go? My prayer is. Just gonna worship him out on the clothes. God is so beautiful and amazing. We saw the glimpse that all the prophets had of him. And that and that experience of God is available for us to be overwhelmed. Yet starts with understanding that we compared to God we are. feels like we're not good enough, but Jesus came and He made us. He gave us His identity. He makes us worthy. Isaiah experienced that. And then Isaiah goes, okay. God says, okay. Now it's your turn. What are we going to sing, Joe? question I have for you is not, not from me, I believe it's from God. And so Lord, this morning I, I come before you and Lord, I think I've, I've shared to the best I can of your heart for humanity. Lord, I'm so grateful of your love. 
Lord, may we love worshiping you and seeing you in your glory and seeing you in your majesty. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace and mercy and forgiveness, your blood that cleanses us. But Lord, help us to know. Help us to see that there's another step. That you look to us who've experienced all that to reach others. And so this morning, maybe it's a, an act of faith. Maybe if you're here this morning and you say, and you're thinking, you know what? I'll go. Don't, you, we don't leave it to the missionaries or the, or the pastors or the leaders. Or the, it's, not, it's not meant for them. It's meant for all of us. But if you're here this morning and you're just going to say, you know what? I've heard the call from heaven. And I want to be a person who says yes. If that's you, I'd love you to stand with me. I'll go, God. I'll speak. I'll just be there. I'll presence myself. Lord, I will, I'll put myself in places that, are, that I can just be there. Just to be there. The Bible tells me, don't worry about what you say. Don't worry about what you say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to express what you need to express. But Lord, this morning we are standing together in faith. And we are saying we are here for you. We are here for you. And Lord, I know that some of us are standing reluctantly or, or feeling awkward because of it. Lord, I just pray. I mean, this, this is where we want to be. And Lord, even, even for people who aren't there yet, people who are, who are thinking, yes, but no, Lord, I pray that a step of faith. As they take a step of faith, they would realize that you were there with them. And Lord, that we would be a church, we would be a people. To reflect your glory to others. A conduits of your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Let our praise be our anthem. We are here for you. Why don't you raise your hands?